Good evening, everybody, and welcome to episode 155 of the Ask the Coach Show, where ping skills helps you improve your table tennis. 155 is the maximum possible score in a single break in snooker with a free ball at the start of the break. 147 is the highest possible without a free ball. Today, we're going to talk about indecision, the level of play in the US, who the best dancer is, the Mark V rubber, whether pro players hit the ball too hard, and if two coloured balls are a good idea. I'm Jeff Plum, and as always, Super Coach Alois Rosero is here with me to answer your questions. Welcome, Alois. Thank you, Jeffrey. And uh, gee, 155, interesting number. I've got something for you, though. Yeah, hit, hit me. Today in history, the opening ceremony of the Montreal Olympics. What year, Jeffrey? Montreal. Mm. Um, I am not sure. Is it in the 60s? No, seventies, seventies. So you. Oh, yeah. okay. Um, seventy-two. No, you had a fifty-fifty chance. Seventy-six, Jeffrey. Damn, <laughs> I should know this, shouldn't I? Okay, there you go. Well, you know, Olympic Games next year. Um, That's right. Well, table tennis wasn't in it until nineteen eighty-eight, Alloys. So no, indeed, yeah, in Seoul. Yes, and I wasn't even born in 70... When was it? 76, I was born. Okay. You were born. You were two years old. (laughs) I should know that. (laughs) All right. Well, um, let's move on to the Ping Skills question of the day from yesterday, Alois, which was, what is the most important part of your game? Is it technique, tactics, fitness, and mental? What did people have to say? Yeah, so we had quite a few responses, and... um, um, Pradeep said that mental and tactics were the two things that uh, stood out for him. Um, Thad, fitness for him. Um, uh, Romil said mental, even without technique, tactics or fitness, mental will allow you to try and try again until you get there or at least just have fun while being absolutely terrible at the game like me. Well, there you go. Um, and um, Eugene said everything's important. Interesting one. And Noel said, I feel like uh, staying in focus in a match is important, followed by being mentally strong when the match is close. And you need to come up with a winner and, of course, have fun. So, yeah, so quite a bit of a leaning towards uh, the mental aspect. And on the blog, um, uh, Nigel said, I spend a lot of time on technique and this coupled with fitness allows me to get uh, to the ball and play a shot. The hours of grinding in the technique means I don't have to think about that side of it, and I'm hoping this will now allow me to implement the appropriate tactics against an opponent. So, yeah, so probably just building blocks there, you know, the technique building up to the tactics. And Dieter um, said, I like to think that technique is the most important part of the game, hence my game. But often I experience that when I'm focused on technique, my competitive game is lacking sharpness and I'm being very soft. So, yeah, so a bit of a mixture there. You know, I... For me, Jeff, I, I think you definitely have to have all four parts. If you haven't got all four parts, then um, it's difficult to reach the, the highest level. But, you know, out of all those four, you know, technique, uh, I think, is a real building block. 
But then to reach the top level, I think the real critical part is the mental part. If you haven't got that mental um, ability, one, you're not going to be able to train well enough and, and train hard enough. And then two, in the crucial situations, um, you're going to struggle to win matches. So, yeah. What about you, Jeff? Yeah, it's an interesting discussion, isn't it? And when you hear people explain what they say is important to them, it's always like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. And so, like as you said, Alois, technique at the beginning is so important. That's why I guess you can see, um, you know, an 80-year-old beat a 21-year-old because they just, you know, well, that's not even necessarily technique, but knowing about how the game works and spin and stuff. So, if you can develop a solid technique, it'll allow you to improve to a higher level. So technique's definitely important. And if your technique is much better than someone else who might be mentally stronger, I think the technique could override that mental toughness. So in some ways you say technique's more important, but then, like you said, if your techniques are similar, then the mental side's probably more important. So, yeah, interesting question. And as you said, all four are really important at various stages of your progression yeah Um, and i think i think yeah that's right i think that's it you know like you you just need to have all four and need to always contemplate and think about those four four aspects of developing your your overall game yeah and that's why i think i'm not sure where this exactly falls but i think you know having a determination over a long period of time and a love for the game is important because you know, it does take time to become better and it does, you know, take time to develop your technique and your mental toughness. So, you know, it's important that you do enjoy the game and a lot of people mention that as well so that you can spend the time to become a good player. Yeah, and I think exactly. And I think that, I mean, the thing that I always bang on about is that if you don't have the right mental approach, then you're just not going to be able to persevere and train properly. And if you don't train properly, then you can't improve. So, yeah, just along the same lines as what you were saying there, Jeff. Excellent. All right, well, let's move on to the Ping Skillers question of the day, which is slightly different. It is, what is your favourite football team? So as always, jump onto our Facebook page, uh, facebook.com slash pingskills, or on our blog, leave a comment. We'd love to hear what is your favourite football team. All right. Now, just before we get onto the questions, Alois, I want to say that in about three minutes' time, the Rubik's Cube World Championships 2015 get underway in Brazil. So... um. Well, Everyone what are you check. doing there, Jeffrey? What are you doing there? Aren't you in? Are you in or are you not? Um, I'm not in, sorry. No. Okay. I'm, miles, I'm miles from being able to be competitive in the Rubik's Cube World Championships. But, yeah, get on board. Check out the Rubik's Cube World Championships. Unbelievable what those guys can do with the Rubik's Cubes. All right, let's get stuck into some table tennis questions, though, Alois, because that's why we're here. First up, a good one from Noel who says, Hi, Alois and Jeff. Sometimes I get caught whether to block or loop the fourth or fifth ball and that indecision gets the ball into the net for me. How can I avoid getting into this situation? Is it a matter of stepping back and start a rally or is it trying to block wide? Have you got any tips for Noel? Yeah, interesting one. So a couple of things come up there. So, So one is... Uh, the indecision. So why does that indecision happen? Perhaps 
if you're not watching the ball as well, then maybe um, you don't get to, or, or you don't make that clear decision um, early enough. So perhaps that's that's one thing you can think of. But I think um, the other thing is, you know, you talk about moving backwards. Maybe, maybe not. You know, maybe that gives you a little bit more time to make the decision. But I think also just think about having a really strong mindset of topspin being your first option. If topspin is your first option, then you can always fall back to, to blocking it if you don't have enough time. So, um, yeah, just a couple of thoughts there. What about you, Jeff? I'm, I'm not really, you know, set on anything there. Oh, yeah. I like the idea of what you said about top spinning being your first option um, because then you're in the mindset of top spinning and it's only if you then get caught out for time or something that you'll just make make a block. So, yeah, I think just have a bit more of an attacking mindset would, would help out. Yeah. And, yeah, I just had another thought. So um, the other thing is to think about your... Um, progression of strokes as well so and what your strokes look like so if your block looks like you know this and your top spin looks like this then you've got different starting positions and different um, decisions to make if your block and your top spin are just all extensions of each other then I suppose it just makes that decision a little bit easier to make um, so you know if you've got more time then you can extend it if you've got less time then you then you make a smaller stroke. So perhaps, yeah, and that's something that we try to um, to help you with as well with our with our strokes and technique lessons. Yes, indeed, indeed. Good advice. Hopefully that helps you out, Noel. All right, now Mike D has jumped on using the Google Q and A app as well and asked a question live on the show. So thanks, Mike. He says, "Hi, a new premium member here. A big smiley face. Welcome aboard, uh, Mike." He says, compared to other players around the world, there's a huge gap on the level of play in the United States. How can the US become more competitive with the rest of the world? Ah, big question. Um, you know, I think it's it starts with the structure in the country um, and it starts with... Um, how much training can be organised and how much organised training and then the, the having the steps in place for players to move up as well. So um, not having been to the US uh, and seeing it firsthand, but my impression is that there's a lot of different little clubs out there and then there's academies and there's a lot of um, separate type of training happening, but perhaps it isn't a... Um, a cohesive approach. So I think that's probably something that we really need to start to think about. And Australia's similar. A lot of other countries are, are very similar. Um, so perhaps you know, just really thinking about what is the pathway that is there for players as they're starting out, and starting to put things in place that um, are really solid pathways for those players. This is where you start. This is the club. Um, if you're doing well at the club level, then this is what happens next. You play in at this level. There's an academy there for you to, to train at. Um, if you're doing well in that level, then you move on to the, your your state uh, level or um, you know your region or whatever it is. So so I think I think structure is really one of the key things um, for a lot of countries, not just the US. Yeah, it's a really big question, isn't it? And 
I guess the US has the advantage of population, so you've got a big talent pool to choose from. But I guess it might be similar to Australia, whereas table tennis might not be the first choice for a lot of your, you know, most talented players. So I guess there's one thing's definitely you need a structure in place, but then also you need to be able to be getting the, you know, the, the sporty people involved in table tennis as well. So, you know, there's lots of yeah. different ways. Yeah. Yeah, so that definitely comes from that definitely comes from higher level, doesn't it? I mean, and that, I think that comes with promotion and um, and overall promotion. So ITTF are definitely doing better on the world level of prom- promoting the sport, and I think it really that's where it has to come from. It has to come from um, the international level and filter down uh, with the promotion, so that table tennis is just a bigger sport worldwide. Kids. Um, at a young age, know about table tennis, um, and, and it's and it's a thought that they have that table tennis is an option of a proper sport that they can move into. So, and as I said, the ITTF are doing a lot better with that. I think um, over the last couple of years, definitely um, in promoting table tennis as a sport. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, doing a great job, ITTF now. So, yeah, thanks for the question, Mike. And if anyone else has any thoughts, leave a comment um, on our blog. Love to hear your thoughts on that. Now, here's another question from Noel Alloys, and we definitely need some uh, feedback from our listeners here. Noel says, who is the better dancer? Is it Alloys or Jeff? What do you think, Alloys? You obviously haven't seen me dance. Well, but... You obviously, yeah. Yeah, we say better. I mean, better is definitely like a relative term, isn't it? Zero I think you just don't like this question because you started to cut out a bit, Alois. But I've got an excellent moonwalk, but I don't think I'm going to be able to demonstrate it on here. And for the podcast, people listening on the audio podcast, they're not going to just see how good this moonwalk is. But Jeff, you just you just look like you're walking backwards. That's not a moonwalk. That's terrible. <laughs> it's it's brilliant. I'm just awesome at it. I should get some uh, Billy Jean playing while I do it. Then it would really go down well. Yeah, you know, the, the person that does dance best is probably Panda. It's not a person, right? But Panda, Panda is Panda. definitely the best. Is definitely the best in the Ping Skills uh, stable. That is true. There's no doubt about that. All right. Next up is a question from Akash who says, is Mark V a suitable rubber for the new plastic balls? And is it because Mark V rubber has the least price and comfortable for us? But Akash is a bit concerned that Mark V is not suitable against the new plastic balls. All right. Here it is. So I don't think there's any rubber that is particularly suited to the plastic balls or the celluloid balls. Um, Mark V is a good rubber. It's a good control rubber. It's, it, it generates a lot of spear, enough spear and all that sort of stuff. You know, there's Mark V, there's Shriver. There's a whole lot of rubbers that are all good um, at that level. Um, I wouldn't go changing your equipment because of the plastic ball necessarily um, unless... Unless we see something, you know, really, really different um, come out, so don't go, don't go worrying about your equipment with this plastic ball. Just worry about your training. I, I honestly don't believe that there's going to be a, a huge difference with anything. 
Yep, perfect advice. Hopefully that answers your question, Akash. All right, next up is a question from Mark who says, do you think any pro players would do even better by reigning in their game? I see so many points lost, just barely missing the edge of the table. But it's hard to say whether a softer shot would just invite a heavier counterattack. What are your thoughts, Alois? Yeah, this is this is a good one. So I definitely think that there is a place for a slower ball, even by the pro players. Um, so I think, um, you know... When we're, when we're talking about reining it in, we're not talking about lobbing the ball back to them. We're just talking about a little bit of variation with the speed and spin. So if you can start to implement a little bit of variation with speed and spin, it doesn't have to be much variation, but it does throw the timing out of the other person. And I really believe, even at the top level, that this is something that's that can be more effective. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, I mean... At the Australian Open, Alice, when we were commentating, we saw, you know, that that slower ball was effective. So some of the top players are using it. Are there any players that come to mind immediately that you think, oh, they should use it a little bit more? Or is it just more just a general feeling? No, I think it's just a general feeling um, of all players. Yeah, so, you know, I mean, when we look at the top level, Ma Long, Zhang Zikur, Zhu Zin, perhaps Zhu Zin, um, you know, because because of the amount of spin he plays with. And, yeah, I, I can see the, the slower ball being really effective for him. Um, yeah, but I, the, I don't really have anyone in particular in mind, but I think just in general, I think it's something that probably isn't used enough. Yeah, and, and you don't mean slow down every ball. You just mean just like every now and again throw up a slower, spinnier ball just, just to confuse the opponent. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're so they're so good at that top speed, aren't they? I mean, they they can they can sit there and and play and trade you know loop to loop at you know 150k an hour, um, like like it doesn't doesn't matter. I mean, we, we've all seen the uh, the point of the century. I mean, the balls there were just like flying um, so fast, and both those guys had no problems at all coping with the. Speed with the speed, you know, like, but perhaps, you know, just one that was a little bit slower in there can muck up the rhythm. Who knows? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And thanks for the question, Mark. And good to see you, you know, thinking about tactics and, you know, taking in little subtleties of the game. Great uh, mindset there, Mark. Next up is a question from Ma Sin, who says, two colored balls in the Chinese league, he thinks that it was a great idea for the sport, but why didn't it work? Um, the pros were having more information on spin on the serve for the receiver, so hiding or disguising of the serve weren't as much of a big deal, and he reckons there were longer rallies to watch. So what do you think about this two-coloured um, ball rule that they use in the Chinese league a while back, Alois? Yeah, I, I, I want to I see it more. I want to see it utilised a bit more in different places and just see what the effect really is. Um, I, I quite like it. I, I like the idea of, you know, just simplifying things, um, especially for the audience. I mean, I don't know, I don't know whether it, that would necessarily simplify things for the audience, but um, it, I, I think it's worth more of a, a more exploration than just a, just a trial. Who knows? I mean, the other thing is, you know, like 
can we can we start to get some more information for the um, spectators on just the speed of the ball and the spin on the ball? You know, I mean, a, a big thing in tennis, isn't it, is um, the speed of their serve, and everyone like you know looks at the speed of the serve and wow, it was two hundred and twenty-five k's an hour. Wouldn't it be good to see? Um, see that in table tennis as well. So that winner by Ma Long was hit at 180 k's an hour, um, and I think those sort of things uh, would add to the spectator experience of the game as well. And wouldn't it be good to be able to, in some way, measure the spin on the ball? That would be amazing because then, then the general public could really get a feel for what's going on with the ball because at the moment they just can't see it. They just can't see that the ball's spinning ridiculously fast and, you know, I mean, the best players in the world are making simple mistakes or or seemingly simple mistakes by just putting the ball into the net. What the audience can't see is that spin. The coloured ball or the, the ball with two different colours on it is an attempt, I suppose, to, to try and simplify that. But, um, yeah... Yeah, I haven't seen much of the two-coloured ball, but when we sort of experimented with it in some of our videos, Alice, it's good in some ways, but then as soon as the ball starts spinning, if it's spinning a little bit or a lot, it just kind of looks like a blur. So I don't think it really distinguishes between, you know, medium spin and heavy spin that easily, certainly between no spin and heavy spin. So it's kind of a step in the right direction. I don't see why you wouldn't use it, but... Does it go all the way? I'm not sure. And then, yeah, I, I like your idea about the spin on the serve because say, um, you know, um, Ma Long does a serve and it says, oh, that was, you know, 1,000 revolutions per minute. That would be great information. And then you say, oh, this one was like two revolutions per minute and you'd go, oh, he was trying no spin almost. And I know the with the cricket, Alice, which is on now, go Aussies coming back against the um, English... We haven't mentioned the Ashes yet because we lost the first test, but we're looking good so far in the second. But in the game of cricket, Alice, when the spinners come on, they have like this, I think they call it a revolution meter, and and they see how much the spinner is spinning the ball through the air. So that technology is possible. Um, So to utilise that in tail tennis would be a great idea. Yeah, it certainly would be. And, yeah, yeah, I suppose it's demystifying the... um the spin on the ball for the, for the spectator. I think that's really important moving forward to make table tennis even more um, um, watchable. I yeah, exactly. I remember the cricket, the cricket commentator saying, oh, he got that into the red zone with his spin. You know, it was just so much spin on the ball. So, yeah, that, that information on the serve when you're watching a match would be really, really interesting. All right, thanks for the question, Marcin. Well, that wraps up um, episode 155 of the Ask the Coach Show. Make sure you go to the pingskills.com website, sign up for our free newsletter. We send out heaps of tips. We've got lots of videos on all the basic strokes. Um, We have lots of videos for premium members as well. So if you want to improve your table tennis, check out the premium membership at pingskills.com. Thanks, everybody, for watching. Have a great weekend. Uh, hopefully it's full of table tennis and Alois thank you very much for your words of wisdom thanks Jeff and uh, can we uh, can we leave with a little bit more uh, moonwalking perhaps oh that's a great idea all right see you everybody bye